Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of Infection Control Matters. I'm Brett Mitchell, and today I'm joined by Martin Keenan. G'day, Martin. G'day, Brett. Nice to be here, as ever. As ever. Now, we've got a bit of a Australasian College for Infection Prevention and Control conference special. So we've had some from ICPIC, we've had some from um, IPS conference, and now it's Australia's term. So the ASIPSI conference commences or commenced uh, on the on the 10th of uh uh, November. So we've got a lineup of a couple of different guests. And our first guest that we're going to be talking to in this series is Dr. Gillian Ray Burrell. Uh, good morning, Gillian. Good morning, Brett. How, hello, Martin. Nice to be here. Nice to see you. And it's good evening from me. Yeah. <laughs> good evening from Martin. Yes. Uh, look, thanks so much, Gillian. Um, so, Gillian is, is an experienced nurse researcher and she's got a joint appointment as a research fellow at Griffith University. And Queen Elizabeth II Jubilee Hospital in Brisbane in Queensland. And um, she's internationally respected for research and improving assessment by decision-making at the bedside, uh, and particularly looking at indwelling devices, uh, both complications and their improvement to health outcomes. And that's exactly what we're going to be talking about today, Gillian, isn't it? It's going to be talking about a presentation you're doing at uh, the SIPSI conference on who is aware of the indwelling catheter, a patient-staff questionnaire survey so Gillian, tell us why what's the genesis of the study why why um do this why did you do this study okay well i've got a long-standing interest in understanding which devices are in and why they're in um that dates back to about 12 12 or so years ago i heard about a patient in the hospital who had been discharged and come back in two weeks later and still had a um, cannula in their arm mm-hmm. and that was pretty mm-hmm. horrendous as you can imagine it was you know not taken out on time so that um, from that time I've been uh, working on devices predominantly vascular access but when I'm starting to look at the urinary catheter issues as well you see well there's also problems there with catheters mm-hmm. that are left in too long and staff unaware uh, from the literature, there have been a couple of studies that particularly piqued my interest in this. Mm. And one was back in 2000, um, Sanjay Saint, who's a lovely man. You should have him on the show. <laughs> oh, we will. We'll get him on soon. Oh, Sanjay, if you're listening. Sanjay's awesome. We can't do that because if you stick a microphone in front of him, he starts singing. He loves karaoke. So yes, he does. <laughs> he does. We've done that together. <laughs> So um, Sanjay did a study back in 2000 looking at which of their doctors um, knew if the patient had an indwelling urinary catheter mm-hmm. and found some um, pretty scary results in that 28% of their doctors didn't know if the patient had a catheter and if they didn't know, they were far more likely to be inappropriate. Mm-hmm. So things getting left in. And then from there, there was a paper came out in 2019 by Bert Lahn in the Netherlands, uh, which patients knew about their catheter and would they speak up? Mm. And um, again, they found that 20% of their patients didn't know why they had a catheter, but they found two-thirds of them had a problem, but um, were not necessarily likely to speak up about it. Mm. So we thought, well, wouldn't that be interesting to combine those two methods and do something with the patients and the staff and then compare their findings? 
So mm -hmm. does the patient know about the catheter and what does the staff know about the catheter and are we on the same page? Mm. I like it. And, of course, the reason we're really interested in this is, you know, every every day a catheter remains in place. It increases the risk of bacteria as well as um, the risk of infection. And uh, it's one of the key strategies we can use. Uh, don't put a catheter in when they're not needed and get them out um, when we don't need them anymore. Um, sounds simple, doesn't it? <laughs> yes, so simple. <laughs> yes, unfortunately not. <laughs> so... I'll let Martin, I'm gonna, I don't want to hog this conversation, um, but um, where, where did you do this study then, um, Gillian? So we did the study at the QE2 hospital in Brisbane. Uh, it's a fairly small hospital. It's only 190 beds or so. And we do have a um, high proportion of uh, urology surgery, gastrointestinal surgery, orthopedics, and then a lot of um, medical patients. So that was, uh, that was something to be aware of, that a lot of patients would have an IDC. And mm. um, it's actually less than we expected. From the literature, we were thinking about 20 to 25%, but uh, we screened over 2,500 patients and only 14% had a short-term IDC. So that was mm. actually quite good. <laughs> I mean, had you been previously doing interventions anyway to reduce catheterization in that area? No, no, this was ah. a first. No, this is a okay. first. Um, we do not have a nurse-led urinary catheter protocol. We did not have um, any projects going on around IDCs. Mm -hmm. uh, actually, the urology clinical nurse consultant had come to me and said, we need to raise awareness of what's going on with IDCs because we had had a high incidence at the previous year of urinary tract infection. I think um, 30% of the infections in the hospital related to urinary catheters. Mm -hmm. And um, it's like, well, that's not good enough. What can we do? What's going on? That Well, the biggest thing is awareness and getting them out. So, Gillian, 14% you mentioned had a catheter. Um, that, yeah, that is, that is a bit lower, isn't it? I mean, yeah, there was, um, I think it was a UK study was done in well it was done i think it was a, a review of medical records actually but um a, few, a couple of years ago now and i think that was about 19 or 20 percent mm -hmm. um study that i did in a while ago now a few years ago in about six hospitals we found 25 percent but that was mm -hmm. um period prevalence so it was from admission to um to the time of of survey so you know that that's still going to be a little bit on the higher side using that methodology but um Fourteen percent seems low in the absence of, um, or lower in the absence of having you know a, a program around it. So that that's a that's an interesting baseline. Yes, it was, and um, it was unexpected. Yes. Mm. Mm -hmm. Can can I start with the results then? I mean, was, take the patient results first. What what were the findings from them? Did they know about the catheters? What do they think about them? So yes, we found that um, we had 60 patients and 56 of them um, could correctly identify the reason for the catheter. Mm. So that was 93%, which was really high. Mm. We're very happy with that. Um, of those, we found that most of them were quite satisfied. They said they were satisfied, generally satisfied. So 85% were generally satisfied with their catheter. About 90% said they would be happy um, asking for it to be removed. So that was also much higher than um, we found in um, the previous 
Land study in the Netherlands. But we did find some problems in that a third of the patients said they had persistent pain or discomfort with the catheter, but most of them had not spoken up. So only 12% of the staff knew that the patient had a problem when the patient, you know, a third of the patients are telling us they had a problem. So there was a there was a big mismatch there in what the patient's putting up with and are they prepared to speak up about it. Mm. So that was disconcerting. Do you think that's because the patients are actually almost expecting it to be uncomfortable? Therefore, yes, I do. They're not likely to complain about it because, you know, uh, thinking about it rationally, something <laughs> passed mm. into you externally through your urethra is unlikely to be comfortable so maybe they're just accepting and that's the case but the the fact that so many knew why they had it in and were accepting of that that says a lot about probably the consent process and the explanation given by the staff so do you know if there are there are good processes in place for explaining why the device is needed no they were um well, as i said like a lot of these patients um had had surgery or they had had uh, urinary retention um mm-hmm a lot of chronic um, medical problems and they, you know, had had uh, urinary catheters in the past, quite a few of them. Um, But there wasn't any process for staff to tell the patients uh, that we could identify. A lot of the patients, they said they were happy to um, ask if the catheter could come out. And Mm. so that was, that was good. So they, they felt like they could speak up about that, but they didn't, I think you're probably right in saying that they expect it to be uncomfortable, so mm. they just don't talk about it. And when mm. they, when we sort of said they, they understood the reason for the catheter, mm-hmm. was it the correct reason? <laughs> yes. They, yeah. yes, yeah. yes, it was. <laughs> yes, because what we did, we compared the, um, the patient's response, the staff response, and I had already um, looked on the electronic medical record to see yeah. why the catheter was in. So, yes, I mean, That's you know. impressive. The, yeah, no, people honest. say things mm. like, oh, you know, I was having um, problems, I, cu- I couldn't urinate, you know, I was, mm. you know, just couldn't go. And then you look in the chart and it was like, you know, retention. Okay, yeah. tick, <laughs> you yeah. got it. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Did, did they, they ever go, on, go back beyond retention, though, to look for the cause of retention? You know, that may be in a large process, but it could be constipation, which could have been sorted out beforehand and you might not have needed a catheter. Do, do they yeah. look for the cause of the retention? We, we did not um, dig in mm. that deep so no that's a good point that's a good point because mm. you get people with short-term post-op retention don't you after the medications they've had during the anesthesia or maybe they've had a spinal and um and maybe you know i've found that people weren't actually that you know used to doing the old traditional methods like get them up and walking again so they're perfusing properly or turning t- even turning taps on to help them pass urine so in goes a caster because they they've got retention because their primary intention is to help the person who's in retention without thinking hang on a minute can we source out the cause of the retention first but yes mm. i think most of the patients who had retention i'd have to go back and have a look at the data but i think most of the patients who said they had the catheter for retention were not surgical patients Okay. Mm. Um, so they had come in with urinary retention and had to be mm-hmm. catheterized. Yeah. So, so what about the staff, Angelina? What was what did they know about their well, catheters? Um, we did find that uh, we had fifty-seven nurses and three doctors. The doctors it was not such a you know, three, <laughs> um, but they knew why the patient had the catheter. Uh, Fifty of the fifty-seven nurses knew. 
Um, some we only asked staff after they'd had handover in the morning. So, you know, presumably it would be passed over at handover that the patient had a catheter and um, hopefully what was the matter with the patient and why they had it. Mm. Uh, that was okay. Um, some staff had taken care of the patient the day before or something, so they were they did have a yeah. fairly reasonable understanding of that. Um, the biggest problem we found is that the awareness of any plans for removal or how long is this going to be in mm -hmm. was very vague. So mm -hmm. it was um, less than a half of the staff had any idea and less than a third of the patients had any idea. So there was no plan discussed and, you know, it was just in and, oh, they'll take it out when they need to. Mm. So it's very much a medical decision to insert and very much then a medical decision to remove and the nurses wouldn't think, I need to tell this guy, That's know, does correct. this need to come out now? That's mm. correct. We actually found, um, we asked the nurses, you know, would you um, speak up and say, can we take out the catheter? We found 75% said, no, it's a medical decision. Mm. It's like, oh, you can speak mm. up, you know, mm. you can ask. But uh, mm. no, it's and that's a cultural thing, very much. Mm. You know, that's and that might vary quite a lot between different institutions I too. Totally agree based on the culture and the, the local totally guideline. Totally agree. Yeah. Yes, and I know in the UK you have a lot of nurse-led protocols over there. Yeah, 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 yeah. There'll be a daily review. We've got a Houdini protocol, and if it doesn't fit within, you know, if it, you haven't got hematuria or obstruction, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, mm -hmm. then you know, you're thinking to take it out, you know, and you'll say to the clinician, can the catheter come out? Although I can remember being on a board round saying to the surgeon, uh, catheter, and he said, oh, no, she doesn't need one. I said, oh, we can take it out then. And he said, oh, no, better leave it in. <laughs> Hang on a minute. <laughs> 30 seconds ago, she didn't need it. So, yeah, I think we'll take it out. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, and there, there is a temptation to leave it in. It's, uh, I mean, going in for monitoring of urine output, always interests mm. me because unless you're in critical care where you're doing it hourly and counting by mil you know if you're doing it by kilo you know by 100 mils or 1000 mils then actually measuring it physically is fine as opposed to using a catheter just to get because you're not really accurately measuring at that sort of volume anyway you're after people in renal failure aren't you and whose, whose output is low so yeah i always found that was a little bit of a red herring mm. Correct. So when you, when you, Julie, when you asked the staff about um, did they know if they had a catheter, was that what was your approach? Did you um, was it was this a sort of one on one discussion? Um, how, how did yeah. You... So we well, first of all, we um, we did ask the staff and the patients. We didn't just hand them the questionnaire. We did ask them the questions mm -hmm. because the patients, um, you know, they might not feel like writing mm. um, was mm -hmm. one thing. And I think people are more likely to answer a few brief questions, you know, say we're just um, looking at what the staff know about catheters. Do you mind if we ask you a few questions? Mm. And the same for the staff. We said, oh, we're looking at, you know, the patient's experience and then ask, just have a chat and then say, oh, by the way, you know, does this patient have a urinary catheter? Mm. You know, mm. that sort of thing to get them talking. Um, and then some staff would say, oh, you know, I've just come on. I don't know. It's like, mm. well, have you had handover? Uh, yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
So they weren't yeah. sitting in front of a screen or looking back at their notes. No, 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 no. They weren't allowed to. No, no, yeah, no. Yeah. We were just, you know, oh, you're taking care of, you know, the lady in bed too, you know. Mm. I mean, for the surgical cases, do they do they have a protocol as like Catherine before surgery and on day three it's removed or something like that that would yes so people wouldn't necessarily think about when it's got to come out because actually that's when it's all going to come out. I mean, that doesn't yeah. work for the medical patients, but. It might for certain categories, I suppose. Absolutely. The surgical patients were much better. Like oftentimes um, I'd identify somebody on the electronic medical record and then head on down to the ward and then, oh, no, it's come out already. So they were really good at getting them out. Um, mm -hmm. So usually within 24 to 48 hours, the surgical patients, unless there was a problem, unless they had some, you know, post-op um complications or you know severe pain or large abdominal surgery most of the surgical patients they were getting them out pretty quickly and that was great you know it's like mm. yes yes we're doing something right here <laughs> but yeah, you're yeah. right the medical ones are a bit more likely to uh, you know get forgotten now i'm going to put my research hat on for a moment and it just dawned on me um about this and i might actually ask all our future um uh, researchers that we cover on this podcast, the same question. You know, ethics is a real challenge for a lot of infection prevention control um, research because it's it's a challenge to practically implement for something sometimes very simple too. So I'm just wondering, what was your approach here? Did you have to get consent for um, from each yes. patient and, and, and staff member? Yes, we did. Mm. Um, Australian ethics is particularly tough. Mm. Um, I know that because I've done a global study of um, <laughs> intravenous catheters and uh, Australia was by far the most complex for ethical um, consent, etc. We had to get written consent from every patient and every staff member mm. to be able to do this, yes. Yeah, yeah look, thank, thanks for sharing that. Yeah, talking of consent, it triggers something in my mind. So I, I did a... a, a um, interview study a qualitative study on nurse decision making before passing catheters because we found i found that nurses were making the decision to put the catheter in even though that it was classed as a medical decision they would give the information to the medic to make him do what they really wanted mm. um, but they very rarely gave any details of the complications of a catheter so the urinary tract infection wasn't ever mentioned uncomfortable you know it's going to be uncomfortable wasn't ever mentioned i mean w when patients are catheterized in, in your institution jillian you know would they go through these are likely to be the complications of the passing this device on you or is it just we need to pass a catheter and the patient goes yeah that's fine and lies back and thinks of australia or yeah <laughs> whatever <No. laughs> i think you're right i think um there's not much education given before it goes in mm. and certainly no you know um, speak up if you've got an issue with it because that's interesting isn't it because hmm. before surgery they'll list the potential complications of surgery before you sign the consent form and even if it's a, like a five percent risk of infection that will get spoken about but when you've got a very high risk of urinary tract infection we don't talk about that at all yeah. It's, an interesting You're right. it's almost yeah. like yeah. if I tell people that, if I tell people that, then they might say no, and I really want to put the catheter in. It's fascinating when you actually think about that, and also, and then in the context of we've got to get written consent to ask a patient 
about whether they know the reason why they yeah. have a catheter. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we don't have to consent you to put the catheter in, but we'll have to get written consent to ask you about it. Absolutely. It really quite work. Absolutely. Yeah, and the problem, and I'll, I'll, you know, hop on my horse for a minute, but the problem with the written consent and asking the patients is a lot of times you say to the patients, we'd like to just have a chat to you about, you know, this is research. We um, take down your answers, but we'd like to have a chat to you and they say, sure. Say, oh, I've just got to ask you to read this form and sign this form. And then they're like, oh, hang on a sec. No, mm. no, I don't want to be doing all that. Mm. They're happy to have a chat, but they don't want to be, you know, reading and signing. And it's, so it's like, okay. <laughs> just speaking of which, actually, and I digress just for a second. I know we've gone a little bit off topic here. but um, As we do. For a change, yeah. Um, the Australian Commission on Safety and Quality in Healthcare are doing a bit of a review of ethical processes at the moment, and one of them is to try and standardise and look at the um, patient information. Um, there's some questions about the patient information and consent forms. Um, there's also local work going on across the across Australia. If you if you're a researcher and you find this frustrating, I encourage you to participate in those pieces of work to provide some feedback. This typical example you've just given, Gillian, where really it's a simple question, and we ask, you know. Patients to read three pages of information and consent to sign their life away. Uh, it's a bit disproportionate compared to perhaps a clinical trial. So, um, anyway, again, probably probably digress. Um, I'm off on another bandwagon now on consent. I was just thinking, hang on a minute. If you have a cystoscopy where it's just going in for a diagnostic to have a look around, because that's an operation, mm. and it's just going in and out, we're going to consent you. But to actually leave a device in for weeks and weeks and weeks, <laughs> you don't have to do that. Hmm. Yeah, <laughs> doesn't quite work. Okay. Well, Gillian, where, where are you going to go with this next? Have you got plans then to extend this work or go in a different direction with it? Um. So the first thing, well, first thing we're going to do is publish the paper. <laughs> sure. Um. We are changing our hospital policy. Um. So that it needs to be um awareness. Uh, we have implemented the I decided tool for all devices at. QE2 hospital. So every day, every device, you know, does the patient have it? Does the patient need it? It doesn't matter what it is. If they've got a device, mm. it's an infection risk. So what is it and why? Um, and then running through the mnemonic, um, you know, is it working properly? Is it any complications? All that sort of thing. So we've done that. Um, and obviously we're um, continuing our um, audits of devices, etc. Um, so I think, um, I think it remains to be seen. Uh, like I said, the awareness was high. The actual incidence of catheters was low. It's really a matter of, okay, encourage the patients to speak up. Um, it would be mm. great to have a nurse-led protocol, but I don't think we're anywhere near implementing mm. such a thing. That's interesting. I mean, I even wonder if, if the, um, Physicians and surgeons, you know, the medics would actually mind being prompted by a nurse, or would they consider that a, you know, stepping over a line, or would they think actually it's fine? Actually, I'd forgotten about that, or you know, it's fine just for them to ask me and be a patient mm. advocate here if that's what they're going to be. I'm not sure that's mm. <laughs> something mm. for the future. <laughs> what mm. about you, Brett? I mean, I would I would argue that's a key role of a, a nurse or a midwife, to be honest. Yeah, um, yeah, I would, but. Um, I guess, Julian, it'd be interesting to see whether is this worth doing in a larger scale? You know, if you're talking about wanting to instill some change about 
awareness mm-hmm. for for nurses and, and perhaps midwives as well more generally do you think repeating this at a few different hospitals to get a different bit of different perspectives would help that awareness raising to then um, provide further justification to talk about some of the things that we talked about in terms of uh, you know nurse-led approaches to these I think that's a great idea um because, you know, as I said, we're a small community ho- sort of hospital. Um, it'd be nice to know what's going on in the bigger places. Uh, it'd be also nice to know um, how the culture of the hospital, you know, does affect the nurse's willingness to speak up. Mm. Um, so, yes, I'd be very happy to get involved in something with, you know, to do something a bit bigger um, and see, you know, the bigger picture of IDCs in Australia Um from a nursing perspective and from a patient perspective, you know. So mm. I think awareness is um, becoming, it's a bit of a buzzword at the moment. We've just done a um, PIVC awareness um, study too. And uh, it's just, you know, I think if you're not aware, then how can you remember to take things out so things will get left? We might need a campaign so, on an awareness, an awareness yes. of an awareness campaign. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I always try and put, say, put yourself in the patient's shoes and think, if you had a catheterine, how would you feel about it? And you know, how long would you want to leave it in? And it'll, yeah. it'll be like 0.1 seconds longer than it needs to be left in. You know, yes, I just yes. want it out. So. Absolutely. Look, um, Gillian, thanks so much for your for your time. Um, and for those who want to hear the full um, presentation, you can register for the SIPSI conference if you haven't already and, and – uh, see Gillian present uh, her, her work. Uh, Gillian's details will also be on our podcast website. So if you've got questions, I'm sure you can get in contact with Gillian. Um, I say that. <laughs> I'll just put Gillian on the spot with her. I'm presuming that's okay. Gillian. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> always, always. Yeah. Uh, uh, I do know Gillian, so that's not a, um, that's not a <laughs> random question. Uh, so look, thanks so much, Gillian, for your time. We, we appreciate it. Thank you for the opportunity to present awareness. <laughs> <laughs> Martin, thank you very much, as usual. Yep, always a pleasure. Always a pleasure to talk catheters. Yes. And uh, thanks, everyone, for listening to the latest edition of Infection Control Matters. It's goodbye from us. <laughs>